Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic, building a disruption-proof, bottom-up, IT culture. What do I mean by that? IT leaders are working hard to create an environment where people can grow. They inspire others. They innovate. And of course, they keep learning all the time. But then we have to build a bottom-up culture where each of these people always feel that they have a voice. They are allowed and have the freedom to make decisions they're able to and are motivated to create innovative and practical products and solutions to solve the challenges which business may be facing and also to exploit any growth opportunities they want to uh, capitalize on. So now with that said, there is a resilient component that is required. So yeah, business, same old, same old. Yeah, you would have worked on things and it's building a bottom-up culture is not uh, new as a concept. And many organizations have tried. What we are trying to dig deeper into that if we have a disruption like the pandemic, not exactly the same and we don't know what the future will bring, can we sustain that bottom-up culture? To discuss this, we have Faith Byrne, Chief Information Officer with ESCOM Holdings. Hey, Faith, how are you? Good afternoon um, or morning. I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us. And we have Michael Heiss, Chief Information Officer with Southern Methodist University. Hey, Michael, how are you? Howdy. It is a fabulous day here in Dallas. Yeah, I like that. I have a sunny Chicago afternoon. How about that? So we also have Kevin Gray, Chief Information Officer, City of Burbank. Hey, Kevin, how's life? Uh, life is good, uh, very good. And good morning to all, afternoon to some of uh, you others. Uh, sunny, it's a sunny Southern California morning here. Yeah, you can tease us, I know, always. <laughs> always gorgeous weather, right? All right, so let's jump into this first question. So Faith, in your view... And how you see culture. What would, what, how would you define an optimal culture for the IT department, which will continue to deliver increasingly more value for the business, given where we are today, which is the testing times we are facing today? Very interesting question. Um, for me, culture starts with building a team that understands the value that it can bring to the organization. And the way that I believe a team understands the value that they can bring is they understand the purpose of the organization. If you have a really solid understanding of the purpose and then an understanding of why the IT team then exists, you're able to, I think, extract value for the organization. And what that means is that you, you look at the organization not just as I'm the IT tech who's fixing your PC, but it is in my best interest for our organization to increase its bottom line. It's in, our, it's in my best interest for our organization 
to have agility. It's in our best interest for our organization to have a a culture, an organizational culture that works. And so when an IT team actually looks broader than just IT, but they actually think about the organization in terms of the business that the organization's in, I think that's a good first step into creating a high-performance, value-creating culture. So, Mike, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Faith. No, I was just going to say that I'm reminded of the book that I read many, many years ago by Robin Sharma. Um, I think the title was A Leader Without a Title. And um, in it, he, he, he speaks about the janitor uh, at um, NASA. And sorry, I'm South African, so if I'm not pronouncing it the way that you guys do, my apologies. And he, he says to the janitor, so what is it that you do? And the janitor say, answers and says, I help put space, spaceships into space. And he wasn't saying that I'm cleaning um, the bathrooms, but rather that I'm here about the business of NASA. And that's, for me, what is a strong value-creating culture. Thanks. Great response, Faith. So now, Michael, I'm going to build on that. So what what Faith mentioned definitely is a good way to look at culture and what you could do, business as usual, so it delivers and people are singing Kumbaya and working together. How has that changed? Your perception, your definition, and your benchmarks related to the culture, which you would need to have so that you continue to deliver what the business expects? And what is that expectation in the first place? Are we expecting everything to be exactly the same, what happened before and during and hopefully after pandemic? Yeah, I'd I'd love that. What's the value to the business question? Because we're a residential institution. So the the students want to be here. They want to come to a university. And we made that shift to online back during at the start of the pandemic in March of, of 2020. And one of the things the students had always asked me for prior to the pandemic was, can we have more and better online support to make it easier for students to participate remotely? And what the pandemic did is it made that process go really, really fast for us. So within a matter of a week, uh, As the faculty were leaving campus, the students were leaving campus, we had to train everybody as quickly as we could to use those remote tools so that education could be delivered remotely and online. And and what we've been finding from the students is now that they've had a a taste of that, they want us to continue a few things. And one one of those things is to use the learning management system all of the time. So the learning management system is a way to organize all of your courses in one spot And before the pandemic, some faculty would use it, some faculty would not use it, and the the students would say, can you please y'all use it? And and now they do. So that's something that we we don't want to go back to once the uh, pandemic is declared over. So I I think that did give us the opportunity to make some changes that were in our original strategic plan that do add value to the the students, and the pandemic made it come faster. And I think some of them are going to, to persist. So, Kevin, in Michael's word, it accelerated, right, where we wanted to be, and that kind of worked as a trigger. 
Would you say faster is better in today's context? Uh, in today's context, yes, faster is better. Um, and um, I say this because, um, you know, in our line of work, uh, change is consistent, change is, co- is constant. Uh, and if we can't uh, remain agile and be able to change and pivot quickly, uh, then we won't be able to keep up. So, um, Faith, when you are looking at what is going on in today's day and age, and when you talk to your people and who also have um, issues with uh, this, you know, the, the, the whole pandemic thing when they're dealing with their personal situations, you know, they're humans at the end of the day. How much of it were people able to transcend because you did some phenomenal job as a leader or what baggage that you feel you still have to help handle on their behalf or help them learn how to handle so that culture doesn't take a hit? Very interesting question because um, with the pandemic, it has necessitated that we all um, work remotely. Um, and for, for many of us, um, we're in South Africa. So in South Africa, we have uh, challenges around network connectivity, etc. Um, also, people needed to suddenly know how to teach their children. And you would invariably be on a team score or a, um, any kind of collaboration tool call. And you have the baby in the background that needs attention with the homework that needs to get done. I say all of that to say, for me, the importance is to always understand that we are human beings and that we do, we are impacted. And because we're human beings and we're impacted, we have a wonderful culture within our organization where we talk about safety before we even go into any item on a meeting agenda. So every, every meeting is opened with safety. And so one of the key things is to check with with the team members, whether they're safe. Are you safe emotionally and physically, mentally? And I think that sometimes many people um, forget to, to, you know, you're expecting people to just move on. But I think it's really um, valuable for team members of your organization to realize that it matters to you whether they are feeling safe. And uh, whether they are in a space and you can quickly pick it up from answers and so on, whether there is something to worry about and you can have a one-on-one afterwards. But the key for me is to always understand and know that people come first and to take care of that people matter first. And then the work follows because the connection, the emotional contract that you have with them is such that because you care that much, they then care about the outcomes of the organization. So it sounds fluffy, but it works. All right. So, uh, Michael, you know that people have an issue with the original way the culture was being developed, which was top down. The leader sets the tone, tells how the organization is going to function, some rules and best practices and values, etc. And then that's how even traditional, you know, business planning and strategy and everything else is designed. Do you think we could eat the cake and have it too that we have that, you know, uh, top-down approach to setting up the, the, the tone of the organization 
At the same time, you enable bottom-up culture. Go ahead, Michael. Yes, yes, uh, for sure. I think that you can do both of those things. Uh, I think you need to inherit your values from the, the organization. So rather than the IT organization, it's the, the university at large. Ours are excellence, integrity, intellectual freedom, open dialogue, diversity, and, 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 conclu- and inclusion. Uh, I think from an IT perspective, we should spend our time looking at the practice piece of that. So do we have policies, procedures in place that make it easy for people to go ahead and, and do their work, to make their own decisions while they're doing their their work? Um, and we establish the guardrails that are around them. Um, I'm also a big fan of not promoting bad practices. So if you think that it's valuable for you to keep your calendar up to date or answer your email quickly, uh, make sure people know that so they know kind of the rules of the organization. That way they can participate in kind of a, a little bit of top-down, but then some bottom-up where they help us put together a cohesive culture. So, Kevin, when you try to do this whole mix of top-down and bottom-up, you want them to, you know, have that intrinsic motivation, if you will. That is the epitome of a good culture. And, and if you were to ask yourself, would you truly be intrinsically motivated when a boss is hammering down your head? Oh, no, absolutely not. Now, let me uh, make this point. Um, um, I don't believe that a disruption-proof bottom-up culture and a common vision are mutually exclusive. Uh, The most impactful thing that an IT leader can do is uh, develop and drive a vision. Uh, that doesn't mean that you do everything or that you make all of the, in, uh, uh, make all of the decisions or that you hammer down on people. Um, even in an extremely decentralized decision-making culture, everyone has to be moving in the generally same direction and chasing the same goals. Uh, the entire team has to be uh, playing from the same playbook or chaos ensues. Uh, but, you know, I, I am a true believer in the intrinsic motivation of knowledge workers. When you, when you, when you use that term, uh, Sanjang, it really, it really uh, spoke to me uh, because I do believe that knowledge workers are intrinsically motivated. They, they want to do their job. They want to do their work. They want to deliver. And if you give them uh, that ability, if you empower them uh, to do that, they will. Um, and, you know, I'm also a believer in, in uh, the term fail fast, and that is doesn't mean that you're trying to fail, uh, but it means that you enable people to, to, to make failures. If they make decisions where their hearts are in the right place, uh, they are trying to meet the right objectives, the right goals, uh, but they happen to make a mistake, uh, then that's a teaching moment, right? That is a, that is a, that is a coaching opportunity. Uh, to help them uh, maybe make a, a different decision the next time going forward, but you want them to stay motivated and feel empowered to make those kind of decisions. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And let's talk about why most people lose their motivation or leave the organization. It's not because the leader is not trying to be the best they can be and set the right values and lead by example, etc. It's many times the mid-management. So then when we're talking about the openness, the empowerment, and the, everyone's ability to voice their opinion, 
while you might evangelize all you want, but you might have a layer in between of lieutenants who may love that freedom themselves, but they may be hesitant because they feel they will lose their control and their power. And there goes your effort to build that bottom-up culture out of the window. And it's not that it's all or nothing, but these things happen in closed doors. It happens at many instances, which erodes and it, 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 it corrodes that effort that you have. So how do we make sure, and this is a question going to be for you, Faith, when we come back, how an organizational leader like yourself, who is a little removed from your staff, the field staff, who is going to be instrumental in helping with the bottom-up culture, how will you prevent your lieutenants to undermine the end goal? What would you do? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Faith, we want as leaders, the best thing for the organization. And I'm sure nobody gets up in the morning and says, I want to be a jerk today. But there may be reasons why a mid-manager, and I'm not going to grossly generalize, there are some phenomenal managers even I had in my life who shaped me who I am. But there are many who might not take exactly the coaching and the message that you are trying to convey and the culture you're trying to develop and the empowerment and the intrinsic motivation. And they might tweak it because of their survival instinct kicking in, insecurities, you name it. But then you're not going to get your next million-dollar performance appraisal if they do something wrong and as I end up, at the end of it, the culture doesn't get developed, the delivery doesn't go the way it's supposed to. So how do you prevent this from happening? How do you help those individuals versus firing them so they become your evangelists. They become, in fact, a catalyst. They accelerate that whole process of building a good culture. Yeah, that's an interesting challenge um, because we don't have um, control over somebody's insecurities or their fears. I think for me, there's a couple of things that's, that's required. Um, the first is I think there needs to be avenues around um, understanding whether there actually is a problem. You can't fix something that you don't know is exists. So, and the way that, that I've been doing that is I have different points of 
conversations or communications with a wider team. Now, as a leader, you can't be talking to every single person in your thousand member team. However, there are ways and avenues of of, um, reaching and touching them to get an appreciation of whether the messages that you're trying to send actually goes through. So for me, that's the first thing is to actually uh, understand whether there is a problem or not and to do it through that way. I also do... um, in my in, in in some of the organizations I start what I call innovation hubs or think tanks and and I do that typically with the layer that's below that middle manager layer so that there's an interaction there's a there's a um, there's a sharing of this culture that I'm looking to create and there's also an interaction from my side with them as well so that they touch and feel the essence of where I'm going. Then from a personal perspective, because your question was, how do you help the individual? You don't just want to fire the individual. I think what's important is to understand what motivates that person and what the fears and the insecurities are around the person. But also importantly is how uh, how is this person being measured? In my previous life, um, I managed a team that I felt there was a breakdown in 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 the team spirit. So there was a, I'm only working for myself and I'm only worrying about myself and not about my neighbor kind of uh, culture. I worked into the performance uh, um, conversations and measurements. I worked into that a measure of, of your team effectiveness. And that measure was done uh, on a, on a 360 so that you were evaluated by other people around that. And in that way, it made people start to think about, well, wait a minute, what I'm doing is is important, but so is my neighbor. Now, I know that we're talking about the, the, the people below the middle manager, but in the same way, when you measure that individual around whether the actual message, the building of teams, the, the appreciation of high performance and whatever the culture is that you that you're striving for, when you build that measure in, you probably get the behavior unless of course there's something else that triggers and that's why it's important to understand is there any other type of insecurities that you need to work with the individual with? Or I'm sorry to say this, Andrew, but sometimes the individual does need to part with you and go their separate ways. So, Michael, building upon what Faith mentioned, um, one is to, again, deal with these situations when business is as usual. So you see whatever that person is doing, you see a pattern, etc. But then when the disruption like pandemic happened, there was a global plea and appeal to introduce more and more empathy Because if a person's insecurity are inherent, that's got nothing to do with the disruption. That's one thing. But since we're talking about this topic in the context of us making the organization and the culture resilient, which means no matter what, this person does not blame or you do not give him him or her the benefit of doubt of this disruption. How would you have, you know, suppose something happens in the last two months. How would you have processed this act of someone trying to be more controlling because 
that person could be doing it because he doesn't know if he's going to lose his job or some other uh, impact may be on his or her career because they are trying to give too much freedom. They are allowing everyone to speak openly. So I, I think that Faith had talked about that a, a little bit before um, and, and the, the sympathy towards the, the, the individual there. Uh, our university made some statements early on at the beginning of the pandemic to try to ease people through that we're not trying to just shed employees. We're trying to help people through this. And everyone's going through something. And, and once you've established that, Everyone has issues out there. I think giving people good, concrete tasks to do during the pandemic is the best way to make sure you, you keep that cohesion. So I expect leaders to develop other leaders. And, and here we use a, a cohort model. So we'll get five or six people together and we'll put them through a, a leadership training program at the same time so they can they can work with each other. So it's not me necessarily telling them something. It's their peers that are telling them something. Uh, and we try to get the most knowledgeable person about what the technology or a service as the ones that are driving the solution, regardless of the, the organizational chart. And I can give you an example of that when we had to reschedule all the courses in the entire university because of the pandemic. So we made a decision that in fall 2020, we were going to have a live in-person semester at SMU. And that means six foot social distancing in every one of the, the classes. And what we determined rather quickly is all the people don't fit in the classes anymore. So now you have to take spaces that traditionally you've never used before at the university, athletic venues, large venues, auditorium, and make them suitable for classes in a hurry. And then figure out where you're going to put all of these people. And conveniently, we have a supercomputer here at SMU. So we were able to get some of our data scientists to take a look at all of the rooms, all of the classes, all of the people, and shuffle all the spaces on campus and redo everything related to the schedule, kind of in the nick of time. We finished all this work in August, right before everybody got here. But it empowered people to use their skills and kind of get some of that anxiety off their mind and focus it on something that they've never done before. And it was truly of benefit to the, to the university. So... With what you are saying here, Michael, that you tried and, and people got creative, right? And that is good. So now when we talk about decision making, and this is for you, Kevin, when people like to make decisions and when they are saying, I want to be able to do it independently, you got to give them that idea that, yeah, you can do it, but then it should not become a wild west either. And when you're trying to hold them back, then we say we are stifling creativity and stifling independence. Who do you end up pleasing? Um, well, you know, again, I, I really don't believe that these things are mutually exclusive. Um, um, you know, for me, I think it's, it's important that we... Uh, uh, that we give people the empowerment. We give them the power to make decisions. And for me, my staff, they don't even have to ask me. Um, uh, perfect example, um, 
one of my assistant directors was uh, he had emailed me last week about um, uh, she's responsible for infrastructure here at the city of Burbank. And we had received a complaint that at a farmer's market here, s- several locations within the farmer's market didn't have Wi-Fi, um, a, a good Wi-Fi signal. And so, and it's a big farmer's market that happens every weekend for us here at the city. And so uh, she went out, she had her people go out and do some research to figure out the best way for us to solve these particular problems because this Wi-Fi access is outdoors. It's in a parking lot and in a park. Um, and she was trying to figure out the best uh, approach uh, to solve this problem. And so she emailed me a couple of options and asked me what I thought she should do. And I sent her a message back asked, saying, well, I'd like to hear your recommendation. What do you believe we should do? And so then she sent me an, an email back again saying, well, I think we should try this. What do you think? <laughs> and so I reminded her that uh, this is your responsibility. This is, this is your decision. You don't have to ask me. <laughs> you know, please don't ask me. And what I, and, and what I tell everyone is that you know, I, you know, I'm, I, I am judging you by the realization of the objectives that you are seeking. If you're meeting the objectives that you and I set together for you, uh, then, then, then you're accomplishing what I expect you to accomplish. I don't need to make all of the, de- the decisions for you, and I don't want to make all of the decisions. Now, the, the big decisions, the, the ones that are uh, real, have a real huge cost impact, or may have a huge reputational impact, I want to be looped in uh, so that I can help make those decisions. But for the most part, um, I tell all of my directs, I tell my entire team uh, that they are empowered to make decisions. Um, Now, we're all driving uh, towards this common vision, uh, and I think it's important that we set that vision and we set those expectations and we really lay out those objectives for them to, uh, to meet. But it's up to them to figure out how they want to meet them. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Michael, I mean, we spoke about decision making, but then given the disruption, the uncertainty that exists, is it fair for us to either throw the people in swimming pool without floaters and say, you go make a decision, I'm giving you the independence, but the person doesn't have all the wherewithal. And nobody wants to at this time be singled out because they are maneuvering or they're navigating through haze. And I'm sure even if you were to be put in that situation, you would not want to say, okay, I'll do it just because I have to make a decision, I'll take any decision. So how... You preserve the spirit of independent decision-making, but don't judge people because they could not take a sound decision. And as a result, they did not deliver to your benchmark because there are unknowns. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. 
If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. Listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sun Joe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Kevin mentioned he would judge people on the results, and which is fine. And he would also like to have people, of course learn how to make decisions. And whatever you said, Kevin, that was spot on. But I'm trying to dig deeper here, and that's why, Michael, the question for you is what would you do to make sure that nobody is forced to make a decision and is not judged based on the outcome given the unknowns that we are dealing with? So you don't stifle or don't come across as stifling individuals' credibility. You don't want to cradle them because you want to build them to be independent decision makers, yet not judge them. So is that honeymoon for anyone involved or can we make it realistic so that we eat the cake and have it too? So Sandra, I, I do have a stack of get out of failure free cards that I have used. So I, I do know that when people take risks, they sometimes fail. And getting out of a single failure, that's that's wonderful. Everyone's there to to help them through it. It's the multiple failures that you have to then start working through issues with human resources and those types of things. But what we found during the the pandemic is that we utilized two groups rather effectively. And one was our emergency operations center and the other was the president's executive council. And so the emergency operations center, it's about 40 people that are in charge of something throughout the university. So it could be IT, HR, finance, student housing, uh, food service, those types of things. And we would meet twice a week for an hour to talk about what are the next steps of the pandemic. And it gave people an, an open space where they could talk about what their problems were, discuss possible solutions go through the pros and cons of these things and hopefully collectively give someone the power to make the best decision possible. And if we didn't make the best decision possible, it would come back to the emergency operations center and say, all right, what, what can we do better collectively? And we had this large group of people that could help others through the, the issues. Everyone was there to celebrate successes, and we were also there to talk collectively about failure. Our discussions then went straight to the president's executive council, which is the decision-making body of the university. So our debate, our failures, our successes got fed into the senior leadership so they could make the best decision possible. Once they made the decision, it's back to the emergency operations center for us to figure out, now what do we do? Uh, but we had successes and we had failures. And I don't think that if we had a different structure that we would have been as successful in navigating the pandemic. Faith, you and I both know that if you are to go and stand next to a lake and paint when you have all the peace in mind, you might come up with a great painting, right? But when people are dealing with personal and business turbulences, Besides their survival instincts kicking in and them coming up with so-called quote-unquote creative solutions to somehow get something done, that is still doable. But now when you're trying to say, 
go guys, do the blue sky thinking. Come up with things which would move us to the next level while you are in the middle of a pandemic or you are recovering from it. How practical is that expectation? And if we can pull it off, what would we take? Well, I think that your blue sky thinking, especially in the world that we live in and in South Africa uh, right now, we're experiencing our third wave. It's the worst wave that we've ever had. Um, the numbers are really high and we haven't had the opportunity to roll out all the vaccines yet. So we don't have that minimum, um, what do they call it? Um, uh, herd. Uh, mentality. Herd, herd mentality. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, the herd. Uh, herd in immunity. Yeah. Herd immunity. Yeah, herd immunity, that's it. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so we're right there. So we're still... For us, uh, you know, I know you guys are probably in a different space, but for us, that's we're there. We're in the middle of this war, right? Um, so if you're asking us to do blue sky thinking, I think that's going to be a little bit tough for us because we're in the middle of it. However, I do think that we can be creative, but pragmatic as well. So if that creativity is tiered towards something that is impactful, um, so, for an example, um, if what I've done with uh, one of the innovation hubs is to look at the business problems that we're going through right now to define that business problem, what it is, and make sure that the definition is clear for us because you can't solve something if you haven't defined it properly. Make sure the definition is clear for us. And then within that constraint of defining the different business problems, selecting the top ones. You cannot go be all things to all people. So just sifting out the most impactful ones and saying, let's take these two business problems and let's see how we can do blue sky thinking on these problems and deliver a solution that is impactful to the business, still gets our creative juices flowing, still gives um, an impact to our bottom line, but doesn't leave us in a room to go and sit and think about blue sky while it feels to us as though the whole world is collapsing around us. And what that does is it narrows it down a little bit for us right now. Um, it gives us that impact. We see the results sooner. We do the minimum viable products. We see the results, and then we can move on to the next. So um, my answer is shortly, uh, uh, a confined blue sky thinking. So, Michael, if I were to bring this question back to you as well, if we do not have that blue sky thinking, and you, you I, I think, Faith, you said it's like partial, right? Then where do we go from there in, from an evolution standpoint? So essentially what we are saying is whatever you can get done to stay put, you do it, but then that also stalls the agenda which business has set for you. And I know business is realistic in trying to tell you that, okay, we understand there's pandemic, there will be a, a little bit of a delay. But then partial also, if not measured, you will not know how much of that is, what percentage of that is truly blue sky versus whatever is, uh, you know, just, just keeping the lights on or, you know, getting through this. So is there a transition that you anticipate that's going to happen? 
where we say, okay, folks, enough of this pandemic burn and and an overdose of pandemic thing. And and we are able to move to the true blue sky thinking capability. Uh, absolutely. And I think that we're on our way there at, at SMU. So one of the interesting things that I observed is the first people that had to make a plan and execute and get into a pandemic support mode were the IT professionals. So we had to make sure everybody else could work for home and then everyone else had to figure out how to work from home. So we're starting to be the first groups that are coming out of it. So while facilities has a lot of work uh, making all of the drinking fountains work again and putting the furniture back and food services allowing people to step next to each other, IT is now taking a step back and saying, how can we support our faculty research agenda? We have a, a brand new provost. She's been here a year. She wants to see SMU move up in the rankings. And to do that, we have to have more faculty in the labs doing research. And the IT team is trying to figure out what's the best way to do personalized support for individual faculty members to make sure that they have everything they need. And that's a big shift from trying to figure out how do I support 15,000 people so that they can study and learn and turn it around and go into an individual IT support mode. So collectively, we're kind of leaving the pandemic and trying to figure out what's our support model look like in the future in order to achieve all of those goals that we had back in 2019 that we're returning to right now. Kevin, in your role as the CIO, people are expecting you to be a confident driver who is navigating, you know, like an expert professional through whatever is coming and you're dealing with it. And I'm not going to say you're not doing it, but frankly, no one has all the answers and no one is aware of what the, the, whatever the next thing would bring or next day would bring, given the uncertainty that we have lived with. In your role, what would you do so that people in that bus which you're driving, they feel not only safe, but also are willing to say, hey, Kevin, why don't you let me drive a little? You might be tired. Let me help lead, or maybe I will lead in my own little group, or I'll, do, I'll make your job easier versus everyone looking up to you. Because, yeah, you can be a hero, nothing wrong with that. But that will be too much for you to take on and successfully deliver if everyone was truly looking up to you and them not having to look up to you is also in your hands where you give them so much comfort, so much confidence that no matter what happens, you'll take care of them so that they start looking out for each other and for the department and you. How would, how would you pull something like this off? Uh, well, first of all, um, uh, I am anti-hero culture. <laughs> and, I, and I repeat that over and over again. If we have people that are having to be heroes to keep us afloat, uh, then we're approaching things in the exact wrong manner. I shouldn't take heroes. I don't need to be a hero. I'm not going to try to be a hero, and I don't want other people on our uh, team to be heroes. I want this to be really a, a team, team effort. So one of the things that I do with my leadership team, for example, um, you, you know, we're working on uh, our plan uh, to, uh, to um, move to the uh, scaled agile framework here at the uh, city of Burbank. So we're implementing SAFE here at the city of Burbank. 
And it's something that hasn't been done at a California municipal or at a California city of any size that I'm aware of uh, yet. So it's something it, it's something that we're doing uh, that's not unheard of in government. It's definitely been implemented in various federal government agencies and state agencies and things like that. But I'm not making all the decisions about how we get there. I am setting the vision that this, you know, this framework is, is what we want to implement. And these are, this is why we're implementing this framework. And of course, we're going to implement it in ways that work for us and work within our context. But um, I've brought my entire leadership team together and we have multiple, multiple brainstorming sessions. Uh, you know, in the pandemic, we became avid users of Miro, uh, where, you know, we're, we're using it as a, as a board to throw up ideas and visualize solutions to the, the problems that we're trying to solve. And everybody, all, my entire leadership team is always involved in these discussions. Um, and so uh, what I look to do is to maybe help help uh, drive the discussions, elicit the ideas. Um, I may even sometimes uh, control the mirror board, but I'm not controlling it in, in, in that I'm writing down what I want to write down. is that I'm writing down the ideas that they're coming up with. And then we discuss these things all together and we figure out what are the, what are the ideas that we want to move forward with and which are the ones that we don't and why. Um, and so I, I'm fostering uh, this, this, uh, this culture of collaboration amongst us all to talk through these things and for everybody to come up with ideas, throw all of their ideas on the board. And I repeat, no idea is a bad idea. We may decide it's not an idea we want to move forward with, but if you have an idea, come up with your ideas. We did a mural board very recently about um, we want to plan a post-pandemic celebration. At some point, we're going to bring the team together and we're going to have a party and we want to know what what's this party going to look like? How do we want to do it? Where do we want to do it? What do we want to include? How do we make it a, a, a party that everybody's going to want to participate in and feel uh, feel positive about? And the entire leadership team, again, we set up a mural board and everybody threw up their ideas. Some really bad ones like a, I survived the pandemic T-shirt to, you know, some really good ones that we might want to do. Um, and so that's how I sort of try to drive that culture to where everybody has a voice and everybody can pitch in, everybody's ideas are considered. All right. I, I just have a minute, so I'd like to have each of you just shared a word or a phrase which will signify the mindset that an IT leader like yourself should embrace so that they can be instrumental in building that uh, disruption-proof, bottom-up IT culture, starting with you, Michael. A word or a phrase which is, you know, going to be instrumental. Uh, personal recognition of achievements of IT staff is imperative for success. Kevin? Well, two words. Um, uh, uh, geez, they lost the, <laughs> my mind. Oh, empowerment, <laughs> uh, uh, empowerment, and you know that intrinsic motivation and knowledge workers are really important to me. Awesome and faith. Just simply put, um, what every person does or what I do in IT matters. 
to my business. And uh, we're in the business of provisioning electricity, transmitting and generating it. So every day when I come to work, I am enabling that. So simply. Once again, thank you so much, Faith, Michael, and Kevin, for sharing your insights about how leaders, the IT leaders and the organization providing the support can build a disruption-proof, bottom-up IT culture. Thank you so much again. Thank you. And Yeah, thank you so much, folks. And uh, okay, listeners, please connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, the social media, and subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>